The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Here we are with episode two of the Liberation Mentor podcast. And for those of you who are still with me after episode one, after that massive change from a jiu-jitsu focused show to a, uh, a more diverse range of topics and subjects, thanks for sticking it out. It's going to get a little bit more out there before we bring it back to the center. And today's guest is, uh, I don't even know what to say. It's... Um, it's someone, one of my mentors, one of the people that's influenced me most, especially since I turned around 20, which is around the time I met him. He's my friend Robin, who uh, I'm not going to give his second name because he wants to remain anonymous. But uh, we go real deep on this episode into some pretty out there concepts and topics, including magic and mysticism and uh, a few things like that. Now, Keep in mind, even though some of the stuff Robin brings up is a little bit intense and a little bit out there and sometimes maybe a little bit arcane. I mean, I didn't even understand a lot of the stuff he's told me over the over the years. It's taken me a long time to digest it. But he is definitely someone with wisdom to share. And if you concentrate and, and stick with it, there's some really good stuff that comes out of this episode, in particular about the use of the mind and the use of the will and the ability to focus the will to be able to bring things into the physical realm, uh, to manifest things into the physical realm. You know, there's a lot of stuff uh, that's been floating around the around popular culture over the last 20 years about the law of attraction. And, uh, you know, I really believe there is a law of attraction at play, but it doesn't work the way we think it works. You know, a lot of us want, want it to be that you can sit down on your couch and imagine a million bucks and then the next day you're going to have a million bucks put in your bank account. It just does not work that way. You have to you have to meet the universe halfway is what I always say by taking action in the direction of what you want to happen. And then you also focus on what you want and, and attract it to you using using your mind. But the thing is, most of us don't even know how to use our minds. Our minds are not tools that we have control over. They're more like uh, reckless teenagers that we have no control or no, no real say over. And that's one of the things Robin really helped me understand a long, long time ago. And he, he brings that point back in this particular episode. So I think any business owner who's interested in infusing those two worlds, you know, like I'm really interested in that nexus point of where mysticism and, and entrepreneurship and personal liberation and, and self-actualization meet. I think there's a, a real overlap between a lot of those things. And Robin's one of those guys who's pulled it off. I mean, he's a very successful guy and he's, he's basically like a, a Jedi Knight guru if you ever met him in person, you'd understand exactly what I mean. He has this very, very magnetic, powerful presence, which is very, very interesting. Anyway, I've rambled way too long about the guy. You just listen to the episode and you, and you'll, you can make up your mind for yourself. Before we do that, I've got to remind you guys that the show is sponsored by Liberation Mentor, which is my coaching business. 
If you head on over to liberationmentor.com, you can watch a video about what I do and then fill out a form if you're interested or click the contact button and, and email me. I've been doing some really cool stuff with the, the men I work with. This program is only open to men and I've got them some pretty amazing results in pretty much all aspects of their lives. I've helped them with relationships, career and, and finances, confidence, and also the, the spiritual element to life. We, we've done some deep work on that. And I think all of my clients will tell you that they've had amazing results and that it's greatly improved the quality of their life. So if you want to know more about that, head on over to liberationmentor.com and you can find out more information there. Let's dive into episode two with my friend Robin. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the second episode of Liberation Mentor podcast. And today's guest is someone I've been trying to do a podcast with for probably as long as I've been doing podcasts and as long as I've been putting stuff out of the internet. It's a friend of mine called Robin, who is a very special guy. There's no other way for me to put it. Robin, I'm so thankful to you for making the time to come on the show and share what is what can only be called wisdom, your wisdom with us, because when you speak, it really is to me that, that there's a, a lot of wisdom carried in your words, and, and I'm, I'm so excited to be able to share that with everyone. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Nick, thank you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. I, I, you and I, our relationship started when we were training in martial arts together many years ago. Uh, what was that? It was close to 20 years ago, I'd say. <laughs> it is. Time flies. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. And I remember there was a... You know, you do many things or you, you, you wear many hats and you've, you've got a lot of knowledge in many areas. There's a few of them I want to get into today. I guess we'll just dive right in. The first one is is the metaphysical and, and spiritual aspects to life. And, and why one of the reasons I feel that you have such a... Why I wanted to get you on to share with, with the listeners is I remember very specifically, it is one of the most clear memories I have I think I was maybe 23 years old, 22 or 23. And I just gone through a, I, I call it my deconversion. I'd left the Christian belief system for whatever reasons. It just no longer worked for me. And I'd swung in a completely different direction. And I decided that I was the most rationalist skeptic there was. It's like, if I cannot empirically validate this it doesn't exist and it's all bullshit it's only what we can see and touch and uh i was a little bit disappointed by that because there was a very there'd always been a, a spiritual component to my life and i felt like that it kind of just almost been um almost like cauterized out like like that that difficulty and the pain of, of seeing that old belief system crumble and fade before me i was just like fuck it i'm just that's it i'm out and you and i, I somehow we were sitting on the on the the jiu-jitsu matter, one of your, your jiu-jitsu dojos. And uh, you said to me, I know I've told you this story many times before, but if you bear with me, I, I, I said to you, like, look, I don't believe in any of that stuff. We somehow got onto the topic and you said to me, you just gave me this look. It wasn't condescension, but it was like, kid, you just don't know. Right? Like, And we, we started chatting and I'll never forget at the end of that conversation, that was just that conversation with you. You weren't trying to sell me anything. You weren't trying to get me to sign up for your Bible study or your Freemasonry group or get me to you know, invest in anything. You were just sharing some info and wisdom with me. And that conversation alone 
was enough to open the window again, like to open that doorway for me to start believing that there's, there's more to it. There's, there's something more to life. And I remember you and I did ayahuasca about two years ago and we had finished the ceremony and I came outside and one of the things that I asked for in that ayahuasca ceremony is I, I, I said, please help me feel more gratitude in my life. And you were standing there and I just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude because you were the person that saved me from going down what I now consider to be a very dark, very cold, very dead path, which is the path of the, the scientific materialist, rational skeptic. So for the maybe the 10th time, I just want to thank you so much for that, Robin. And hopefully throughout the course of this conversation, we, we can kind of get you to share a little bit of stuff that might open a window for someone else who's in the same position. Nick, I remember that conversation because we had Devil's Peak. That was one of the most scenic dojos I ever had because we had Devil's Peak right at the back on that window. But that was a great conversation. Yeah. It was, I mean, and I think one of the things that came out of it is um, I was saying to you, well, where's the proof? Like everyone, all these guys, these people, members of secret societies and religious people and everyone who believes in some sort of spiritual, mystical component they claim that it's real and it exists, but where is the proof? Show me the proof. And you said something to me, which man, I still use it today in conversations, which is um, you said the proof is out there, but it, it's almost like the, what, what happens most of the time is if someone, let's say a scientist wants evidence of um, parallel dimension or a, a spiritual entity or whatever it might be, it would be like taking someone out into the sea on a, on a boat and pointing out at the water and saying, there's, there's life under that water and them saying, I don't believe you, prove it to me. And then you would say, sure, I can prove it to you, but we've got to dive in that water. And then they would say, well, I don't want to get wet. And most of the time, that is why the, spirit, the, the, the mystics and the, and the skeptics reach this impasse is because the skeptics aren't willing to do what it takes. They aren't willing to get wet. Do you have any, anything else to expand upon that with? or? Like I think in jiu-jitsu, it's that transition between leather belt and white belt. Anybody familiar with jiu-jitsu will understand what I'm talking about. That change of mindset, that immersion onto the mat and the actual experience and direct involvement with the sport. And in a similar way, I've taken a very similar approach to the metaphysical and I've distinguished and maybe a bit later on laughed than I would like to admit, but the difference between the armchair mystic and practicing. <laughs> there's a there's a big difference. I guess that's the same as the difference between an armchair martial artist and a, and a practicing one, or an armchair anything, right? And a practicing one. If you don't mind me asking, well, what was your first foray, or what was the? If we continue the jiu-jitsu metaphor, can you remember the first time you you stepped on the mat, so to say, when it came to immersing yourself in this this field of study? I can remember distinctly. I was in a library, and I met somebody in the library who was reading the book and I probably shouldn't have done it, but I looked over their shoulder and it caught my attention. And the content of the book was very clear because I had an interest in that particular material, but I've never in my life seen a book like a, a proper, I guess in a way it's very similar to, um, to your first experience of jujitsu. When, when you realize that this is alive, this is real, this is something on its own, a power and force on its own. And it was a very distinctive moment in a public library. Yep. Well, what's a library? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, 
Can you can you remember specifically uh, what that was? Or and um, I guess it might be something so arcane that it would be difficult for the listeners and myself to, or that it might not have any meaning for us. But is there any way you can describe what it was and, and package it in a way we can understand? It was a practical instruction manual on hermetic magical practice beyond the um, state magician and beyond the crystal shaker. It it was my first introduction towards hermetics. Okay. So now just to break down that word magic a little bit, because for the longest time, it was my, when I heard the word magic, then the thoughts that come to mind are of Merlin in a strange outfit and he's reading from a spell book and he's got a wand or it might be some guy on a stage pulling a rabbit out of a hat or, and it's from my, my interactions with you and from the things I learned from you, it's my understanding that that is a very, very narrow surface description of what real magic is. Defining magic is very difficult, but what I like to think of it is it's the, it's changed caused by will. Now, we can do that in our daily lives through focus, goal setting, planning, you're using the facility, the nice will, and you're effecting change in the material. There are different definitions and there's different understandings with regards to how far you can take that cause to change principle. But in essence, it's the, the change of your environment through conscious will and how you affect it. So I'll leave you with a very broad statement on that on its own. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And the part of the reason I'm, I, you've, you've told me that, you've given me that definition before, and uh, it did shape the way I, I approached my life over the next several years. And it's actually now I'm in a phase where it's, that same understanding is affecting and influencing what I do a lot, primarily because I'm entering this new phase in my life where I'm, where I'm very focused on entrepreneurship and business. and what I'm doing is besides all the actual legwork of running a business, like speaking with accountants and opening bank accounts and generating the income and all those different things. I'm also working on another aspect, which is focus. I'm I'm realizing that for me to get where I need to go, it's focus uh, is going to play a big role. And so things like rituals and routines, including meditation and journaling and and also eliminating distractions, including things like television and uh, stuff like that. I'm doing all of those to try to cultivate this very clear mind and, and very powerful will because it's, I mean, tell me if there's any kind of truth to the statement, the, the stronger your mind is and the more clean isn't the right word, but the, the less splintered and, and the more uh, the sharper it is the more quickly you're going to be able to turn your will into something real in the physical world would you say there's some truth to that i'd, I'd agree with you um a disciplined a trained mind and uh, a clear strong will you can affect great change without a doubt sure and that's interesting because you know if you, if we look at the nature of the, the way young people are growing up today and the way a lot of us, I mean, even even you and I are affected by it to a degree. I've realized that you once said to me as well, which is another way to describe magic because it's just a form of concentration. And that particular ability, that ability to concentrate is becoming in very, very short supply in the modern world. It's something I've noticed in myself 
And I can even see it on a, on a micro level. If I go and play on the internet for an hour, it literally splinters my consciousness. I, I, I've literally trained or primed my mind to start working in that kind of little jumping around link to link kind of mode of thinking, which is pretty much the opposite of concentration and focus on one particular thing. And, uh, I remember you were the first person who got me into meditation as well. Uh, I'll never forget that. And I, and I noticed that meditation is almost the antidote for, for modern life and the way it, uh, and the way that it kind of fragments your will. Would you agree that there's something to that? I think there is. It always reminds me of that story of Carl Jung. He built that roundhouse up on the lake and he made a comment to the effect with the invention of the telephone. He saw things were going to speed up in a way that wasn't necessarily healthy for mankind. And he built this house and part of it was for solitude and quietness. And I think if you'd seen today the amount of noise that on a daily basis we surround ourselves with, I, I think you'd be quite taken back. And and yet in this cloud, we need to operate. Yeah, because that's, I mean, you can't just isolate yourself because then you lose access to the benefits that this world comes with. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in word speaking. And collectively, we are here because we deserve to be here. Can you expand a little bit more, a little bit more on that? I think there's a, um, throughout our life, individually and collectively, there's a series of decisions and actions that are set in motion and these produce certain vectors and we are caught up within that and they take us to different places. And at this particular point in time, this outpouring of knowledge in the manner that it is, it, we deserve to be here. So good and bad. Sure. Let's identify which is good, which is bad, and to rather focus on the good. And do you think there's, uh, I mean, I get that, that idea that we deserve to be here, but is, is that almost from a karmic sense or is that, is it, I mean, it's like if you study hard for a test and you're more likely to get, you know, a, a good score, but that's slightly different to, to karma where you're carrying baggage from previous uh incarnations or i remember you once spoke to me that as a as a race we have a collective karma and in fact you said something which really stuck out you said that that is how the the species that is how evolution we all evolve collectively is is sex is what links us like uh you said something like that like is is that's how we stay karmically or energetically entwined as a race is like through sexual activities can you expand upon that i'm not not quite getting it right but you said something like that a few years ago to me that, uh, that is true, or at least in my thinking. Um, it's one way that we engage chemically and physically, and even if it's just from a pure procreation survival component, it's, it's very important. But the number of interactions that we have with society and other people, those are all little packets of energy that need to either be received or given at a later point in exchange for everything to be balanced out. So... The more contact we've got with people, the more intrinsically entwined our lives become with theirs and our futures meet with theirs. So you will find in certain practices, the individuals seek to extract themselves from that and they seek solitude in deserts, in mountains and ice wastelands to intentionally severe those ties. Nick Crowley was one of the guys who did that. He did that big ritual, Alistair Crowley, the, the mystic. Uh, you were telling me about it. He, he went off to do some ritual on his own and he severed all those ties and, and he was 
if I'm not mistaken, you said he was trying to banish his or, or create as much evil in himself so that his holy guardian angel would stay. Oh, that's under Bolskine when he was practicing um, Abra Malen, the magic of Abra Malen. Okay. And what he was attempting to do there is in that practice, I know this is very simplistic in its explanation, but um, you basically banish all good from you. And at the a particular point, the idea is that your higher self intervenes and that's how you establish communication. And I certainly don't recommend that practice. <laughs> I'm certainly not advocating it, stay away from it. But that's what he was trying to do essentially with that, that particular work before McGregor Mathers called him back and in error he went back to London. And that's what basically started Crowley's downfall is he was in the middle of this ritual and it's not one of those things that you just... It's not like starting to make a pot of instant ramen on the stove and then you just decide, I don't want to do it anymore. Switch it off and shoot <laughs> out to the shops. No, it's a very different story. And and I think um, as a result of that, he started to lose the ability to tell right from wrong. Wow. That's that's interesting. That's very, very interesting. That's the, the danger for me with a guy like you is you have such deep knowledge on all these arcane subjects. I don't want to take the show to a place where myself and the listeners can't really follow. So I'll, I'll draw it back a little bit more. You know, if you had to give some some practical examples about this idea of strengthening the will, and I don't know if it's tied in with it, but I, I guess there is some overlap, this, this connecting with your higher self, maybe not in such an extreme way. Are there any simplistic methods or, or reasonably approachable methods that you could recommend to, to people? If, if people want to start engaging with this deeper aspect of themselves and, and connecting a little bit with the, the mystical element of life and they don't have any real framework or any real experience, what would be the first avenues that you suggested to them? Two things. One is learn to focus the mind and to learn to practice vacancy of mind. So imagine your mind's like a muscle. Now, in order to exercise it, you need to contract and relax it at various degrees of intensity. So start off easy, learn to focus for a period of time on a specific thing, and then practice vacancy of mind for an equal period where you clear your mind and you don't engage in any thought form or stream. You rather just observe and let it move and after a bit of practice, it becomes quieter and quieter. So you're learning to focus, tension, the muscle and relax, practice vacancy of mind. If you can do that, and um, I don't mean fool yourself into doing it, but if you can do that effectively, then it doesn't matter what you bump into, either internal journey or in your daily life, you'll be able to have a better handle on it. That makes that makes total sense to me. And and as I said earlier in the show, you, my my first introduction to meditation, which has become definitely one of the most priceless things that I've ever been given. It's, it's a gift that I, I truly I thank you for it every day in some way or another. You you know you said to me I remember, remember very clearly. You said, just take five minutes alone for yourself every day. That's all I want you to do sit quietly, close your eyes, and you retreat within, focus on your breathing. Just five minutes is all it will take to start. And at the time, I, I knew there was something to what you were saying. I really I understood the importance of it, but I, I didn't act upon it. And then it took me getting to a point 
where my mind was really torturing me for me to revisit that and, re- and remember how oh, maybe it's time to start what Robin suggested. And the, the, the fruits that the, that meditation has brought into my life, I mean, it's I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's literally priceless to me. So I, I really understand why you why you recommend that, and I appreciate that. I, I really do. This there's something to be said for meditation. Rob, I, I wanted to ask you. You're a, another reason I wanted to have you on the show is even though it's it's pretty clear from the work I put out there and, and the things I make known about myself that I am definitely a believer in in the the beyond in this metaphysical world. And I'm still a huge skeptic because 99.999% of it is just bullshit, dude. Like the chick with her dream catcher or, you know, average, I went to a, a psychic a few years ago on uh, on a whim. Someone said, oh, you're going to go meet this woman. She's amazing. And she knows the future. And I went to her and it, it was just total bullshit. And she was just cold reading me and I, I instantly knew it was bullshit. You know, like, and one of the reasons I, I, wanted to talk to you is because it's clear to me that you're whatever you found or however you're accessing what you're accessing and you're in the one percent or the 0.001 percent of people who is connected to something real and more importantly you're able to use it to affect your life in a positive way because to me what's the point if sure you can you know, study astrology maps and know what the meaning of the stars in the sky are relating to your life. And if you can conjure up some entity to do your bidding and blah, blah, blah. What's the point of it if it doesn't make the quality of your life significantly better? To me, there's no other, there's no other point to it. And you, it seems to me, are one of those people who's managed to take this knowledge, this arcane knowledge and use it in various aspects of life, including business. And that's something I wanted to speak to you about. And I guess my question to you, Rob, is in what way have you been able to affect positive results in, in your business life and in your in your career using this? Is there, is there a, a short answer to that or like a, a sanitized version? <laughs> I think if, if I was to judge it purely on the basis that um, using a different system of of looking at things, a different pair of glasses, a different way of thinking and viewing a particular object reveals a different side. And it's not so much a question of how accurate and how truthful is that other side. If at the very least it makes you think about something from a different perspective and reveals a blind side, and there is always anybody who claims that they've got a very clear grasp of the situation is doing so at the limitation of other things. And even if just using this as a different pair of glasses to get a, a different view and seeing is there something being blindsided, there's a value add there already. And the practical application of that knowledge and implement it into your, your life and your business and your practice, it should inevitably show results. And there's, I don't think too many people have really complained about having thought of something from a different angle and perspective. It's a value add. It definitely is. And even I find that one of the things I appreciate about controlled and respectful use of psychedelics is they give you a different perspective on, on, on things. Like in, I find there's a tendency specifically with my mind, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way whereby I start entering into these mental loops about certain things. And my thinking becomes very unoriginal and re- very boring and very repetitive. And I, I just keep, as I said, running through the same loop 
And what I've found, like if I do like a little bit of a small dose of psilocybin or something like that, is it, it literally breaks me out of that loop. It has that ability to say, hey, here's that, here's that angle that you're not seeing or here, here's a perspective that you're not um, familiar with. And I guess it's similar to what you've just described is maybe if you go away and do some kind of ritual or whatever it is you might want to do, uh, it just might reveal to you something that's not necessarily true, but is a different perspective. Is, would you say that's accurate? It is to a large degree. Besides which, you've got focus in a different form that people are generally used to and a focus of energy towards a desired outcome if it's controlled and disciplined that does create change without a doubt mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cause cause precedes change so set in motion a, a direction of cause towards something and it'll assist you and when you say setting in motion a direction of cause i'm not quite clear on that what would that be characterized by like an intention to to do something or change something that's it. So let's say, for example, you wanted to change your body type and you want to do that through exercise and diet, then proper planning and execution of that is going to give you a better likelihood of reaching your goals. Sure. So there's an example. Yeah, I heard something which I found quite interesting, which is uh, it was from someone who was really into magic of some sort. I can't remember what kind. And he, he was saying how you it's very unlikely that you can no one's ever going to get to the point where they can just say, I want a black Range Rover in my driveway. And, you know, two days later, that'll show up. He says, however, with, with consistent application of, of will and focus, what you can do is kind of, you almost tip the scales slightly in your favor. Like, uh, you know how they, they did those tests with random number generators and they found that by like the control group that focused on the random number generator and tried to, to affect its outcome, couldn't call up three sixes in a row, but they could increase the, the likelihood of a six coming up slightly. And I, I guess for me, that's what I've noticed is, you know, if you have a positive attitude and you're always looking at your vision board and you're being grateful and being thankful and, and, and focusing your will in these positive aspects, it doesn't just mean that the world, all these things just come to you. What it does is it increases the likelihood of circumstances that may lead to these things taking place. Does that make sense? It does. And in a way, we experience a lot of it normally. If you, for example, have set your heart on purchasing a particular motor vehicle, a particular model and brand and color, then you're going to find that you see it more and more often on the street. Yeah. Now, they're they still there. They're still out there. Just we don't normally see it because it's not part of our field of focus and consciousness until we make it. And then we realize how much is actually out there. And that, that is part of the process as well in terms of opportunity towards something. A lot of opportunities go past us but because, again, our focus is somewhere else or from a particular view. We don't recognize them. So making yourself open towards that and bringing your goal within your realm of your consciousness increases it, at least with respect to what you're focusing on and you see more opportunities. Sure. It happens to all of us all the time. It, yeah, it does. It definitely does. I, I really, uh, one of the things I've realized is that we, often we want certain things and we pray or we ask the universe or we visualize or whatever it may be, this certain outcome and we expect the outcome to arrive in the way we want it to arrive or the way we 
are primed for it to arrive. And very often that in itself, that expectation of, okay, let's say you want, I don't know, you want enough money, you, you, want, you want to increase your, your income in your business by a factor of 3x over the, the next quarter. And you think that what that means is you have to work harder at making sales by continuing to do what you've always done. Meanwhile, the universe might have had another plan for you, which is to bring you a windfall from a completely different vector that you just had no idea of. But because you had you had closed down that possibility by saying, no, it's got to come through the way I dictate it, you kind of miss out on that opportunity. Is this kind of aligned with, with what you're describing? I think it is, but more to how we live a lot of our lives. Um, we tend to expect and receive certain things in a particular manner. So even two people born from different sides of the train track will have different ideas as to what's required of them to attain something. And one side, through how they've been brought up, will believe, genuinely believe through their experience and what they've been taught that it's easy. The other side are taught that it's hard. And that then reflects in their lives. But we're still talking about a similar thing, different opportunities, different positioning, but the mindset of the individual does have something to do with how they go forward. Sure, sure. I, it's, it's one of my, my biggest understandings or learnings or pieces of knowledge that I really fought hard to acquire, which is the world is, is largely, I mean, I don't think there's a one-to-one perfect correlation, but the world is largely what you expect it to be. From my experience, indeed. Yeah, I find that extremely And, and changing that perspective and that position is... It's difficult, but rewarding. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I really am a huge believer in that idea that I've heard it expressed that once your internal state is changed, that's when the external state starts to change. And it's it's influenced in, um, you know, there's certain people who just attract drama. They just literally, it's like they're a magnet for it. And I realize it's because they contain that drama within themselves. And until that internal state is changed, the external world will not change. They will keep attracting the circumstances, people and events relating to drama. And they, what they have to go and do is just kind of figure out what it is inside them that's creating that and how do they change it before they move forward. Otherwise, they just will perpetuate that cycle. That's it. There's an inner alchemy and an outer alchemy, and you're going to get a better success rate if you've done more work on the inner component and then see how that reflects towards the outer. If you focus purely on the outer, the expense of the inner, that's normally a short path. Sure. I mean, what I just, what just came to mind is when you're discussing the alchemy element is how, um, you know, they say um, money and wealth is just an amplifier of who you are. And so there's, there's a lot of people who get wealthy and it, because they're assholes and they're immature and they're not ready for it, it's just, they turn into bigger assholes and, and do more stupid stuff. And then usually end up broke as well a few years later because they didn't really know how to handle that. Whereas those who are ready for that success and ready for that wealth and they're quality people, when it comes, they handle it in a, in a much better way. And so it stays. And I, I think another little piece of evidence to back that up is there's a huge statistic showing that a huge number of lottery winners either commit suicide or broke within five years after their, after their winnings. And it's because that inner alchemy component hasn't been addressed or it hasn't changed. Would you agree with that? I wouldn't disagree. Look, I 
when I talk of inner alchemy, there's a the element of inward reflection and self-work that I include in my understanding of it. And the little bit I've seen, particularly of the UK lotto winners, they, they don't seem to be big practitioners of that. They, they appear to be more within the general um, hub-rub of life. And yes, I think it's unfair. <laughs> you get this something you can't really manage and there's people offering to assist you and all of a sudden desire kicks up and what regulates desire other than your wallet for the most part. And <laughs> I guess things do get pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I just, uh, it's just something I think about a lot because if you think about, no, I, guess, I guess, I guess this is a generalization, but the average wealthy person who wasn't given a leg up and didn't get an inheritance they generally have had to become a very specific kind of person, you know, which includes someone who is, has the ability to delay gratification that includes someone who's able to focus their world. And, you know, there's, there's many characteristic elements that they have to have acquired through self-work to be able to, to become wealthy and successful generally. I mean, it's not always the case. And so that's something I think about, like a lot of these lottery winners, they haven't paid that price. They haven't done that self-work. And then when the, I mean, uh, without getting too personal, my, my dad, I think in many ways is an example of this. I mean, he became a reasonably successful businessman, I think largely due to timing and a few smart decisions. And then he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready for the success and ultimately it short-circuited, right? And then he lost his business and he, he lost everything. And I just, for me, I, I definitely don't want to go down that road. So I guess that's why I'm so fascinated by this topic. I think to a large degree, we need to readdress what we consider successful. And I've heard this from elder gentlemen. And as I get on in years, I realize more and more that there's a lot of truth towards it. But our relationships with our loved ones, our family, our proximity to them, the, this is where genuine success and wealth sits. Sure. And and I know it's it's easy to say that when that's a term when things come in, you gotta pay bills and your focus is different. But I've yet to meet somebody who's getting on in years, who's regretted good family connections, good relationships with other people. Sure. I've met lots who've regretted money, either having too much or having none, and there's no shortage of that on all around. Mm. But when it comes to family and true connections, I don't think I've, I really can't think of anybody who's complained. Mm -hmm. Rob, I mean, we're coming to the the end of the show. There's just a couple more things that I I really wanted your insight on. The show is called Liberation Mentor. And and one of the large things I've built it upon or that I'm building it upon is this idea that you don't have to be trapped by your circumstances. And there's, there's almost always a way out, whether it be a career that you're not enjoying or relationship that's not serving you or you know health issues that that you want to overcome this there's very often a way out and there's ways to improve your situation and you had a i mean for one of a better word i think you won't you won't judge me for saying it but you had a, a pretty a pretty boring uh corporate job right i mean it, it wasn't it didn't exactly light your soul on fire would you say that as a correct assessment <laughs> that's a very polite assessment yes <laughs> no you subsequently, you escaped that and you're, you're now a successful self-employed uh, business owner and, and 
you've done very well with it and you you I don't want to say you lead a life of leisure because you, I know you still you still work and you have a lot of projects, but you do everything kind of on your own time. You don't have a boss. You're the, you're the captain of your own ship. And I just wanted to ask you what, if you had any advice or tips for people who, who are at the stage that you were at when you worked in that that corporate job and you were you were really feeling it's time to uh, to go out on my own. Are there any things that you would, is there any advice you would have given that robber before he set out on that journey that would have saved you? time and heartache and made your trip more efficient to get to where you are now? I must admit, personally, I haven't really got a handle on what defines a successful entrepreneur. I know we can benchmark success in particular manners with balance sheets and assets, but sometimes in life, things go south through no fault of your own. Um, Sometimes it's wrapped up into something as big as a country's economy or a global event. And these things do happen, and these things have got devastating effect on a lot of businesses. Now, I don't think there's anything that can really prepare you for entrepreneurship, but taking that step away from a sheltered environment out into the, the wild of entrepreneurship, you'll never regret it. I really don't think you are. So if I was to say anything, don't hold back. Go out, look, understand there's no safety net. Sure. You're going to get bumped, but the champagne comes in equal amounts. That's really worth it. And I know that's really not deep advice. <laughs> you said something once to me which uh, helped me a lot. I mean, first of all, I appreciate that. And, and I'm sure that will be heartening for a lot of a lot of the listeners who wanted to start their own thing but you i once said to you that i really believe the most important currency in business was trust and you in your wisdom that's i noticed that with this conversation as well another hallmark of a wise person is you never answer immediately there's always this pause where you you think about you think about you consider your answer before you you give it but you went away and then a few few months later we saw each other again you said nick i've been thinking about what you said and i i disagree i, I think trust is a very important currency in business but i think even more important is competence and that really stuck with me and it, it made me really reflect on the people i work with and reflecting my own inabilities and shortcomings uh in the people i worked with uh, in, in the business relationships that i had and I think that was a, a really powerful piece of advice. And I wanted to ask you, where, where did that, that opinion or where did that advice come from? Was, this, was there a specific event that informed that or, or not? Life experience. I've, I've been in a couple of situations where everybody's getting along really well. The underlying business prospect is great and everything's warm. And there's a lot of good feeling, good vibe and trust. But due to normally what is a competency issue. It doesn't get off the ground. And I've been in environments where people don't necessarily get along and don't want to share each other's feet under the table, yet successful business can be done. And something I observed out of that is competency and capability are important. You can invest a lot of trust in an individual, but without competency, there's better investments you could make. Sure. Sure. That's awesome. Rob, I usually ask at the end of the show, uh, just help the, the person plug their particular service or website or product. I know you've asked to remain anonymous, so I'm not going to do that. I just want to thank you so much for your time. And I've said it to you 
in private many times, and I'll just say it on, on this public forum, I want to thank you so much for the incredible gifts that you have given me over the course of my life. This show is called The Liberation Mentor Podcast, and I always uh, think of you as a mentor of mine, and you've, you've helped me in ways you can't even imagine. And I, w- I want to thank you so much for that, my brother. Nick, thank you, and thank you for having me. My, my great pleasure, dude. Wow, that got a lot more intense than I anticipated. It's difficult with, with interviewing a guy like Robin because he knows so much and there's so many so many tangents and, and so much depth to, so many tangents he could go off on and there's so much depth to his knowledge. I, I kind of struggled a little bit with asking the right questions. I Whenever I interview someone, I'm, I'm trying to make the conversation greater than the sum of its parts. I don't just want it to be a me rattling off a list of questions and him giving answers. I want it to become a a kind of organic thing that emerges from the interaction between the two of us. And I think we pulled it off with that one. Uh, My questions could have been a little bit tighter at times. I found I was rambling, but still, I think you guys having heard that you got the essence of Robin and what he's about. And the point I really wanted to drive home is that, as I said in the show, I've got no time for for want of a better phrase, mental masturbation or just airy-fairy, hippy-dippy bullshit that doesn't get you anywhere. I actually detest that. For me, spirituality has to be practical and applicable. And uh, that is the thing that the difference I noticed noticed about Robin the first time I met him is he, he wasn't some dude with his head in the clouds. He was an actualized individual who had a, a presence and had achieved some success. And he was, he was very... Uh, just no bullshit, if that makes sense. And I think that that is something you really have to look for if you want to start, if you want to start playing with this element of life and engaging with this element of life, you have to be careful because there's so many con artists and so much bullshit and so many red herrings along that route. And you really do need, I'd say you need a guide uh, if you, if you want to get the most out of that. So I highly recommend if you guys want to, want to start down that route, the first thing you can do is, as Robin gave me the same advice many years ago, just start with some basic meditation. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the show. The next episode will probably be a little bit less um, less intense and less mystical, but I'm sure it'll be just as good. If you want to send me any feedback, you can always email support at liberationmentor.com. Check out our page, Liberation Mentor, on Facebook. Just do a search on that, it'll pop up. And if you are looking for one-to-one coaching services, life coaching services, specifically if you're a man looking for life coaching services and you want to take your life to the next level in all realms, including your career, relationships, uh, including your relationship with yourself, and um, just improve your levels of success, reach out to me, uh, head on over to liberationmentor.com and perhaps we can work together. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and until next time, peace out.